Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. I'm not sure if the guys are having a competition or not. I think they're trying to see how many guys they can get on six chairs. Right now, the total is eight. Eight on six. And I saw a ninth one trying to squeeze in there, but they just, they just wouldn't let him in, right? So I think you guys could probably get at least two or three more in there. I think you guys could. I think you should try. Not right now, though. You can try after the service. <laughs> I love it, though. I love to see... Man, how, many, how many people do you know fight over the front row? Right? I've not seen too many adults fighting over the front rows, right? These young people, man, they're fighting over the front rows. It's disappointment if they cannot sit on the front row. I'm telling you. Um, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Love it. Um, we should, like, have a reverse Sunday. And we should, like, have the young people go out and sit where all the adults are. And the adults have to sit where the young people are, right? At the, yeah. You get, wait, they're like, no, we don't want to give up our seats. The adults are like, thank you. <laughs> all right, Hosea chapter 11. We can get serious tonight, too. Hosea chapter 11. And we'll begin reading in verse number 8. Hosea chapter 11, verse number 8. He says, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Now remember, as we're looking through... Hosea chapter 11, remember God has changed the analogy most of the time when we think of Hosea, we think of the analogy of this married couple, Hosea and Gomer. And so the analogy throughout most of the book here is between Hosea and Gomer, this man and wife, and between God and Israel. God being the husband, Israel being the wife, and being that adulterous wife as as, um, uh, Gomer was, and Hosea being the loving, faithful husband. But here in chapter 11, he, he changes the analogy from a husband and wife to a father and a son. And we see that here in verse number 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Right. So remember, here in chapter 11, the analogy is not the husband and wife as uh, Hosea and the unfaithful wife Gomer, but it is now the analogy of a father and son. And as we saw last week, really, this is the, the picture of what we see in Luke chapter 15. Of the, it's the Old Testament prodigal son. This is that picture of this prodigal son. You have the father at home who, who has his, his sons. And then uh, one of the sons comes and says, Father, I, I basically hate you. Uh, I don't want to live here anymore. I want my inheritance, which was not supposed to be given really until the time of the father's death. 
Uh, and so basically he was saying, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. I just want what I, I want out of this. And he leaves and he goes to a far country and spends all of his substance on riotous living. And so we find this picture of the prodigal son here in chapter 11 with God and Israel. God being the father, of course, and Israel being the son. Now, as we think about this, because as we saw last week, how um, all of the things that Israel has done, how they've turned away from God and uh, how they just, they just chose to rebel against God. I want you to hold your place here in Hosea and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21 with me. Because in the law of Moses, God specifically stated how they were to deal with a rebellious child. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, Deuteronomy chapter 21, notice in verse number 18. He says, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them. Sound a little bit like maybe what we've been looking at? Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, bring him unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So think about this. God said when giving the the law to Israel under the law of Moses, that a rebellious son was supposed to be brought before the elders and then taken out and stoned to death. I will just stop here and say I'm very thankful we're not under the law of Moses anymore. Uh, because I probably would not be here. <laughs> okay? um, I will have to say I was probably a little bit uh, of that stubborn and rebellious son. But again, as we think about what he's saying here in Hosea, God is dealing with this stubborn, this rebellious son dealing with Israel. And so think about, think about what we're saying here. Notice the questions that are asked in verse number eight of Hosea chapter 11. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? These questions that are being asked, we, we really see the, the heart of God. How, how can I just give you up? How can I just deliver you? Um, and, and it's not just when, when he asks these questions, how shall I give thee up? How shall I deliver thee? It's not just God allowing them to be taken captive. These, these phrases that he's using here, it's referencing basically handing them over to the enemy for the enemy to do whatever they please with them. And he's saying, I know judgment is coming. Judgment has to come, right? They've, they're stubborn, they're rebellious, judgment has to come. But he says, I, 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 how can I do this and just turn you over to the enemy because the enemy is going to do whatever they want to with you, whether they want to slaughter you, whether they want to put you in exile, whether they want to make you as a slave, whether they want to sell you as a slave, I am turning you over to them for them to do whatever they want with you. The emphasis is on the destruction here. And it is seen in 
who is referenced? Again, these questions that he's asking. He says, how shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Who is Adma? Who is Zeboam? Adma and Zeboam are actually two cities that the Lord is referencing here. And again, he's saying, how can I... How can I let what's going to happen to you be like what happened to Adma and Zeboam? Well, in Genesis chapter 19, we know the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're very, I would say most people are familiar with that story where uh, God comes with the two angels and he visits Abram and he's going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, how can I hide this thing that I'm going to do from Abram? And so he begins to talk with Abram and he says, I'm going to go destroy them. And Abram says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, would you not destroy it? And the Lord says, okay, I won't destroy it. And he says, Lord, if there's 40 righteous, and he has this conversation with the Lord, and he finally gets it down to 10. Well, the two angels have already proceeded to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they get to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they can't even find 10 righteous people in the cities. Lot and his wife and his two daughters are all that they can find to try to bring out of the city. And then, of course, we know what happens to Lot's wife. She, she turns back, she looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. And so we know the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 29 as well. Deuteronomy chapter 29 Deuteronomy chapter 29, notice in verse number 23. He says, And that the whole land therefore is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboam, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Adma and Zeboam were two other cities that were in this area of Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed through the fire and brimstone. And they were, there was such destruction that was there, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Many times people say, well, the, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and that, that it's not really weird because nobody can find any evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're absolutely right. They can't find any evidence of it. Do you know why? Because God just said he destroyed them out of his wrath. God destroyed them in such a terrible way that there is no evidence left of where these cities were. He says, ah, that's proof that the, Bible's, that the Bible can't be trusted because there's, there's no evidence. No. Just because you can't find something that God said was there doesn't mean it never existed. God's just saying he did such a great job destroying it that you can't find it. And this is what he's saying. You see his concern here in the destruction of what is going to happen to Israel because he says, how can I do this to Israel? How can I bring su- allow such destruction upon them as Zeboam and Adma that they are going to be completely wiped off the face of the earth? No one's ever going to hear about them again. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. We know Israel is still in existence today. Obviously, they weren't wiped off the face of the earth. Right, exactly. But this is what he's saying. How shall I give thee up? You see this, this father and his son, this son that is rebellious and, and, and stubborn and, and he's doing so many wicked things. And the father says, look, I know judgment is coming, but I hate to see the judgment that is going to come on your life. I've tried to instruct you. I've tried to teach you not to do these things because I know the judgment that is going to come. And he says, how shall I give thee up? 
How shall I deliver thee? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Israel's destruction deserved to be like Adma and Zeboim. They were such a rebellious and a stubborn people that God says, you deserve exactly what Adma and Zeboim got. Now, think about that for a moment. Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, we think, man, Sodom and Gomorrah, man, such, such wickedness was taking place there. God says, that's how wicked Israel had become. Israel had become so wicked that they deserved the same judgment that God had poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim. So complete that no one even knows where those cities are located today. You say, man, that sounds, sounds harsh. It's harsh. But it's not undeserved. It's harsh because it was deserved. It's harsh because of how wicked Israel had become. But watch. He says at the end of verse number 8, My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. Again, get, get the picture of this father and son. This father says, you deserve complete destruction. You deserve this. But yet the anguish of the father's heart for his son in knowing that judgment is coming. He says, my heart is turned within me. This anguish that is taking place in God's heart. The anguish that is there knowing the destruction that they deserve. And yet he says, my repentings are kindled together. The compassion that is also in the heart of God. Can God be just as a judge in meeting out judgment and yet also be righteous and pure? Of course he can, because he's God. We cannot... We can only, we can judge a certain way the way we think it ought to be done. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But God says the judgment that Israel deserved was so severe. He says, it's, it's, it's causing me anguish. He says, my heart is, is turned within me. And if you've ever had to discipline your child, you know the anguish that it causes you as a parent. You don't want to do it. Because you know that maybe it's going to cause them pain, but yet you know that you must do it. Because if you don't, you know they're just going to keep doing the wrong that they were doing and because they think they can keep getting away with it. And so there, there's an anguish in the heart. There's, there's, there's a turmoil there. I know that this discipline is necessary, but I don't want to do it because I love them, but also because I love them, I must do it. That anguish. God says Israel has become so wicked that the, the, ju the judgment that they deserve is complete annihilation just as he did with Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim. But his compassion, my repentings are kindled together. His compassion is there. 
I believe, again, as we look at the correlation between this chapter 11 and Luke chapter 15, when we go to Luke chapter 15 and verse number 20, we find a, a beautiful passage here. And, and if you just think about what's happened, so the father or the, the, the prodigal son, and obviously we call him the prodigal son because he went away. I don't know what his name was before he, he left, but the son comes to the father and says, hey, I, I hate you and I, I don't want to be here anymore and I want my inheritance and I just, I want to get away from home. I want to leave you and, and, and get away from your name and get away from your, your responsibilities and your rules and all this kind of stuff. Imagine the anguish that the father is feeling and hearing his son say these things. And then he sees his son leave. And he knows the path that he's on. He knows the path that he's going down. He knows that if he continues going down this path, it is going to lead to destruction. And the anguish that is there. And yet, he deserves what he's going to get. He deserves it because of how he's treated his father. He deserves it for how he's, he's treated his own family. He deserves what he's going to get. But in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 20, it says, talking about this son after he's been in the, in the mire and the muck with the pigs trying to fight the pigs for the food. He says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, and notice these next four words, his father saw him. Did he understand that the son deserved what he got? Absolutely. He understood that he deserved everything that he got. But there was still that love and compassion for his son. And praying every day for his son to return. And praying every day for his son to come home. And every day he's going out looking down the road. Seeing if maybe today would be the day that his son is coming home. And day after day after day. Seeing nothing down the road. No one is coming. It's not his son. It's not his son. But yet day after day he continues looking down the road. Looking to see if his son is coming. And then one day he sees his son. And watch what happens. His father saw him and had compassion. And notice who is running. It's not the son. It's the father and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Hey, the father knew that the son deserved every single thing that he got. But he also knew that he still loved him and he wanted him to come home. And in the same way, God is saying, Israel, you deserve every single thing that you're going to get. You deserve to be destroyed. Oh, but I still love you. I still love you. I still care about you. Notice what he says back in Hosea chapter 11, verse number 9. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. God says, Israel, you deserve destruction. They did not deserve mercy. They had clearly rebelled against God and were not remorseful about what they were doing. How many of the prophets came and they said, we don't care about you. Go away. How many of the prophets did they kill? Jesus speaks about that. You, you killed the prophets, the ones that came to give you warning, the ones that came to say, hey, you're going down the wrong road. You're, you're doing it wrong. Don't do this. You need to turn around, repent, turn back to God. They didn't listen to Amos. They didn't listen to Joel. They're not listening to Hosea. They didn't deserve mercy because they had clearly rebelled against God. There was no remorse. So then why does God say, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. 
Again, if God were to execute the fierceness of his anger, they would end up like Adma and Zeboam. They would end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. They'd been wiped off the face of the earth and you wouldn't be able to find him. But he says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. He says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. What was it that motivated God not to completely destroy them? Were they going to be judged? Yes, they were going to be judged. But God says, I'm not going to completely destroy you. I'm not going to annihilate you, though you deserve it. What was it that motivated God not to destroy them? Yes, you, you could say it was his deep compassion. And no doubt, God is compassionate and we see his compassion. But I believe there's something else that we see in what he says in verse number nine. He says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Israel. And here's the reason why. For I am God and not man. I'm God and not man. You say, what does that mean? Why, why would that be the reason why he's not executing the fierceness of his anger? Because if it were men, if it was us, when someone does us wrong, we may give them another chance. Right? I mean... We're going to be, try to be gracious. We're going to give them another chance. And if they do us wrong again, all right, we're, we're really starting to push it now. But you do me wrong again, and we're done. And you keep trying to do me wrong. You know what? Not only are we done, but now you're, you're, you're poking the bear, right? I mean, you're starting to get me mad. And you're starting to get me mad. And you're starting to get me mad. And I'm going to... I'm going to there's, there's, going to be some, there's going to be something happening here. There is, there is anger. There is, there is revenge that, it wa- that is wanting to lash out. That's how man responds. You see, man cannot respond in justice with righteousness. Because we respond in our flesh. We want to get even. We want to make sure that they pay. God says, Israel, you deserve justice. You deserve to be annihilated. But God says, I want you to know, I'm God and not man. He said, but they deserved it. Yeah, they did. And so did you and I. You see, every single one of us deserves destruction every single one of us deserves to be destroyed because we are the ones who were rebellious and stubborn and turned against God God wasn't the one that turned against us we turned against God we are the ones that turned against God we are the ones that say God I don't need you and even 
Even after we're saved, even after a person has understood that they're a sinner and they need Jesus Christ to save them and they they put their faith and trust in Christ, how often do we still say, God, I don't need you. I'll do it my way. I don't need you. Kind of glad God might be a little long-suffering. You say, oh, but Israel deserved it. I mean, look at how wicked they were. Look, we, we we are no better. We are no better than them. And this is why God says, hey, I want you to know, this is what you deserve. But because of my compassion, because of who I am, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Now, there's something deeper here. I want you to watch this. He says, for I am God and not man. Well, of course he's God and not man. What does he mean by that? Go back with me again to Numbers chapter 23. In the book of Numbers chapter 23, God basically says the same thing. Numbers chapter 23, notice in verse number 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So think about what he says. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? What does he mean by this? God is not a man that he should lie. And why is he bringing this up again after he says, you deserve to be annihilated, you deserve to be destroyed, but I'm not going to annihilate you. I'm not going to bring complete destruction upon you. Why? Why does he say God is not a man? I am God, not a man. Because God remembered that he had made a promise. God had made a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. God had said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And God said, Abraham, through you, not only am I going to make a great nation out of you, but through you, all families of the earth will be blessed because there is going to come one through you who's going to be able to save all of mankind. God says, if I was a man and I had made that promise as a man, and you did what you did to me, forget the promise. Right? Forget the promise. I don't care if I made a promise. Look what you've done to me. Look how you've done me wrong. That promise is now null and void. You, you have, you have, I don't have to keep that promise now because of how you've treated me. Isn't that the way our world is today? Right? Don't we even see that in marriage today? I don't have to keep that promise because of what you did. I don't have to keep that promise that I made to love, honor, and cherish you because of how you treated me. You know why we, we break those promises? Because we're men. We're human beings. But God says, I want you to know I'm not a man. I'm God. And when I give a promise... 
And when I say I'm going to do something, I will do it. And I made a promise to Abraham that through you, all nations would be blessed. And through you, the deliverer would come. God says, because of the promise that I made. Oh, yes, he loved Israel. But because of the promise he had made to them, he would not completely destroy them. He would bring judgment, but it would not be the fierce wrath that they deserved. God says, I'm going to keep my word. (laughs) Did they deserve it? No way. No way did they deserve it. But you see, God is just, and he is righteous. And when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And God said, I made a promise, and I will keep my promise. God had made that covenant with Abraham. And that covenant that was made with Abraham was unconditional. Aren't you glad that when God made you a promise, and that he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that there wasn't any conditions put upon that? That was an unconditional promise because every single one of us don't deserve for him to keep that promise. Because even though we said, yes, God, I love you and I accept you, every single one of us has gone astray. Every single one of us has has rebelled against our own Savior. Every single one of us has done something wrong. And God says, hey, even though you don't deserve to remain saved, I gave you my word. And that's why he calls it eternal life. God keeps his word. He keeps his promise. Because this promise was unconditional. The promise that he made to Abraham was unconditional. There was no condition put upon it. God simply said, I'm going to do this. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, there was no condition put upon it. He didn't say, hey, you believe, and if you do A, B, C, D, then you get to keep it. No, no. He just said, believe. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's unconditional. And even though there would be judgment on Israel, God in his mercy and righteousness would not destroy them completely for the promise that he had made. I'm telling you, I'm thankful for God's promise because I know from the time that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I know I have blown it time after time after time after time after time. But God says, hey, I want you to know something. I am God, not a man. And I gave you my promise. You can take it to the bank. That's how we can know that no matter when we die, the next face that we'll see is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I I haven't been the greatest after I've been saved. It's not about how good you are because none of us are good enough. It's because he gave us a promise that if we would put our faith and trust in him, that we would be saved. He paid for the judgment. He paid for our sin on the cross and we we put our faith and trust in him, it's been paid for. Do we deserve it? (laughs) Not a chance. 
but he gave us his word. And he says, I am not a man. He says, I, for I am God and not a man, the holy one in the midst of thee. But notice he says, but I will not enter into the city. He says, I will not enter into the city. God says, yes, I'll keep my word. Yes, I'll not completely destroy you. But he says, I'm not going to enter into this. Judgment is coming. You're going you're gonna to face judgment. You're going to be taken by the Assyrians. You're going to be in captivity. Many of you are going to die. Many of you are going to go into exile. I'm turning you over to them. But I promise you, you will not be annihilated. And I am stepping back. I will not enter into this because this is on you. You said you didn't want me. You said you didn't care about me. You said you didn't want to worship me. You wanted to run to Baal. You wanted to run to these other false gods. You wanted to do all these other things. All right, fine. Here it is. Have it your way. God says, I'm stepping back. And watch what he says, though. Even though they're going to be judged. Watch what he says in verse number 10. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. How often in Scripture do we find immediately after God declares judgment, the very next thing that he gives is a promise of hope. He's just declared judgment on them. He's just said, you're going to face the wrath of God. Now, not the fierce wrath, but you're going to face God's judgment. You're going to be judged for your rebellion. You're going to be judged for your stubbornness. You're going to be judged for your wickedness. And then right after he says that, he says, but there's hope. They shall walk after the Lord. This is what we see over and over again. Think about it. Even from the, the very first, from Genesis Chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin against God, and what does God do? God pronounces judgment upon the, the woman. God pronounces judgment upon the man. He pronounces judgment upon the serpent. And then what does he do in verse number, in verse number 15? But I want you to know, there's going to come one who's going to defeat the enemy. Oh, yes, Satan, Satan may, the, the serpent may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. What is he doing? He's saying, look, here is judgment. This is what you deserved. You've sinned against me. You rejected me. You followed the servant. You followed the devil. You, you believed him instead of believing me. Here is judgment, but I want you to know there's hope. There's going to come a deliverer one day, and he's going to save you from your sin. And he's just said the same thing to Israel. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be punishment for their disobedience, but there is hope. He pronounces judgment. But then he gives the greatest hope that we could have. That one day, a deliverer would conquer our enemy. And this is what Hosea is looking forward to. The hope after the judgment. He says, they will walk after the Lord. They'll walk after the Lord. They're not doing it right now. <laughs> not right now. But one day. There's hope and they will walk after the Lord. Did Hosea know that this would be a couple of thousand years later? No, of course not. Just as Adam and Eve 
did not know that when God promised the deliverer that it would be some 4,000 years later before the deliverer would come. They didn't know when they would be delivered, but God gave them the hope that there would be a deliverer. God says, Israel, you're going to be destroyed. And for 400 years, they were going to be in captivity. For 400 years, there's going to be no, no revelation from God. But he said, I want you to know there's hope. One day, they will walk after the Lord. He says, he shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. One day, Israel will be gathered back from all nations. It's interesting, if you hold your place here in Hosea and just turn over briefly to Amos. We looked at this a little bit when we were going through the book of Amos. But in Amos chapter 1, in verse number 2, it says, And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the habitation of the shepherds and uh, the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. When Amos talks about the Lord roaring here, it's a, it's a roaring of fear, a roaring of judgment that is coming. There's judgment that is taking place. But notice in Hosea, and he uses the same analogy of a lion roaring. He says, he shall roar like a lion, but when he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. This roar is not the roar of judgment as Amos was talking about. This is a roar that is calling his children home. This is that, that, that trumpet that's going to be, be sounded and his children are going to come back. Israel is going to come back into the land. They're going to be back in their home, he says. And then, Ephraim and Israel, they lied and rebelled against God. He says in verse 12, Ephraim compassed me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. Full of lies. Rebelled. And yet God was long-suffering. I think it's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 37. What does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. God is saying over and over and over, I gave you opportunity to repent. Over and over, I gave you that opportunity to return. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And therefore, judgment must come. Friend, may I say that is free will. That's free will. God was not going to force Israel to come back. They had a choice to make. And they would not. God is not going to force anyone to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's that's a free will choice. We have to make that choice. In the same way, as a Christian... God's not going to force you to love him. God's not going to force you to follow him and serve him. It's a free will choice. But God says, I want you to know 
the free will choice is there, but with that choice, the wrong choice brings consequences. The right choice brings blessing. The wrong choice, consequences. The right choice, blessing. But he says, the choice is yours. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get the greatest blessing a person can ever receive. You don't, there's consequences. You choose to follow Jesus Christ as a Christian, give your life to him, serve him, man, there's blessing. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. You say, no, God, I don't want to follow you. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm going to do what I want to do. You have that choice. But there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. You see, what God is wanting is to us, is for us to be like the prodigal son. And as we have rebelled and sinned against our Father, and we're on that road, he says, would you just stop and think a minute about what you're doing? Would you stop and think that the road you're going on is going to lead to consequences and destruction? Would you stop and think that the path that you're heading on, nobody down there cares about you, nobody loves you? You're leaving every everything you're leaving the one who loves you you're leaving all the blessings behind and if you stop and turn around the father's waiting but you have a choice you can either continue down that road or you can stop and turn around And you never have to get to the hog pen. You don't have to get there. You can turn around and come right back to the Father. But the choice is yours. Israel chose to keep going, to keep going, and to keep going. And it brought destruction. God says, I still love you, and I'm going to keep my promise. But there's going to be consequences, and there's going to be judgment. We have a choice to make. Are we going to keep going? We can turn around and say, Lord, you're right. I've been wrong. Please forgive me. And have the Father welcome us back with open arms. Our Father, I pray, Lord, you'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, we see Israel as the prodigal son who would not return, who continued down that path and just got worse and worse and worse until finally you had to bring judgment upon them. Lord, thank you for keeping your promise both to Israel. Lord, thank you for keeping your promise to me. That when I put my faith and trust in you, you gave me that gift of eternal life. It's an unconditional promise. Lord, I know I don't deserve it. Lord, I know I've failed you many times. 
Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray you'd help us as Christians to recognize that we have a choice to make. Just as Israel did, just as the prodigal son did. We have a choice to choose to love you, to choose to serve you and to follow you, or to leave you and to walk down that road away from you. Lord, knowing that it will end in judgment and destruction. Lord, I pray you'd work in our hearts this evening. Lord, may we not be the prodigal son. But Lord, may we just turn around wherever we're at right now, whatever, however far we've gone on that road. Lord, may we turn around and say, Lord, you're right. I was wrong. And Lord, I want to come back. And Lord, to see you there waiting with open arms to receive us back again. Lord, I don't know where anyone is tonight on that road. Some may be closer to the hog pen than others. Lord, I don't know. Maybe some have just even started thinking about leaving the Father's house. Lord, wherever we might be at, Lord, I pray you'd help us to stop and recognize and remember that you are the one that loves us. You are the one that made that promise to us, that unconditional promise. And Lord, may we follow you and trust you in our lives. I wonder if their heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment. The piano's just going to play.